So this morning, I just want to say we're going to talk about two things. Um, one is what's called excuses, and another one is called exclusiveness. So let me start with excuses. Don't put the slide up just yet. Oh, too late. Hold on. So what is maybe some of the most famous excuse that you've ever heard as it relates to academia? Right? It is the dog. Go ahead. The dog ate my homework. Right? Have you ever heard this excuse? We can look at the slide now. This is an actual dog who actually ate the homework. Actually, one of the couples in our small group here at our church shared how their dog actually ate their fifth grade son's homework after he had completed it, and they had to send an email to the teacher explaining this. So um, this is a very dear dog, very dear, we've been to this house, we love this dog, but uh, dogs do things, they eat things. But more importantly, excuses have been around really since the beginning of time, right? Uh, we go all the way back in the Bible, right, to the first two people God created, Adam and Eve, and Adam created the first excuse and Eve the second. In Genesis chapter 3, God asked Adam, have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Adam said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. First excuse. On the heels of that, God says to Eve, what is this that you've done? Eve said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So excuses have been around since the beginning of time. And many of us hear excuses throughout our days. A few of them come from systems. Maybe you heard this one. We're experiencing unusual high call volumes at this time. Anybody hear that one? An excuse, right? But most of them come from people, and even sometimes from ourselves. Let me share a few of the more common ones we hear or ones that we make. They include things like, I really wasn't paying attention. I don't have the time. I don't have the money. I don't have enough education. I don't have a car. I'm too young, I'm too old, I'm too tired, I can't do this on my own, I'm afraid of what others may think of me. You can add more to the list. If I say excuses that you've heard or excuses that you use, things come to mind. At the end of the day, most excuses have to be made up. Why? Because they're not really fully true, right? We create excuses around these things that we've done, maybe that we shouldn't have done, or we create excuses around the things, more often the things that we failed to do because there's some other reason besides ourselves. So today we're going to be looking at a story where Jesus talks about people who made excuses around the most important thing in life. And we'll see how that relates to us. The second thing I mentioned, in addition to excuses, we're going to look at exclusiveness. That's kind of a big word, but I want you to go back to when you were a kid. Okay? And I want you to think about when you were a kid, we used to form groups or clubs. I know for me, we formed an all-boys club. Okay, and we had a tree, you know, we had a fort, right? And there was no girls allowed, right? And of course, our dear girlfriends formed all girls clubs that boys are not allowed to join. So all the way back to our childhood, right, we were beginning to create exclusive groups. As we progressed into our tweens and teens, the idea of these groups or clubs actually evolved, or should I say devolved, in what we refer to as cliques. Cliques are groups which we are in, and those of us who are in feel very maybe cool. And then we act sometimes kind and even cruel to those who aren't in our groups. Who, and we become, we want to be part of something and make sure that other people are not. And then as we mature into young adults or adulthood, it becomes more subtle. Right? There's part of our lives where there's, we end up having people that we don't spend time with, that we don't associate with. Those of our kids want to make sure that our kids don't spend time with those other kids. So we create these adjectives like them and those, and at the end of the day, we become divided. 
So the big idea for today is that God is the designer of inclusion. That is, God welcomes any person from any background in Christ into his family. God is the designer of inclusion. He welcomes any person from any background in Christ into his family. At the end of our time today, we will have learned how God desires us all to be part of his family and to make that the most important thing in our lives. And also, God desires us to be inclusive just like he is and invite others to join with him in his family. So we're about midway through a sermon series entitled Jesus at the Table, where we find Jesus using meals to connect with people and teach them powerful lessons, teach us powerful lessons. So what have we been learning? What are some of the big ideas we've been learning? I'm just going to do a quick montage highlight reel, okay? So we started learning from Luke chapter 5 about Jesus having a meal with a man named Matthew, local tax collector, and how we were all invited to follow Jesus, and we were encouraged to open up our tables so other people can meet him too. We next learned in Luke chapter 7 about Jesus having a meal at a Pharisee's house when a woman approached him with a jar of expensive perfume and poured it on his feet, and how Jesus forgave her and she felt very forgiven, and that when we feel personally forgiven, we're more able to forgive others and love well. Next, and, and, and this was mentioned earlier, Pastor Brian mentioned his prayer today, just about Luke chapter 10, with Jesus having a meal with two sisters, Mary and Martha, and how we're never to be too busy for Jesus, and how following him is prioritizing our relationship with him. We learn next from Luke chapter 11 how Jesus was having a meal with a Pharisee, and he taught about what is religious hypocrisy and how Jesus exposed it and how he is the solution to it. And then last week, Pastor Brian shared with us from this same chapter we're going to look at today, Luke chapter 14, about Jesus having another meal with a Pharisee where Jesus told a parable about a wedding feast where he explained what is humility and how the best seed is one that is humble and open to all. So I hope you just see some themes that are going on here about inclusivity, about excuses we'll see here, but about making Jesus a priority. So today we're going to continue in Luke chapter 14, where Jesus is still around that same table with that same Pharisee and others with him, and he's going to tell another parable, this time about a great feast, and we're going to learn about what it means to be inclusive. So next week, Pastor Brian's going to be sharing about hospitality, and you don't want to miss out on that. So if you would, at this time, turn with me in your Bible or your Bible app to Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 15. And it'll be up on the screen as well if you want to follow along. Verse 15, when one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed are the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But the all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another one said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another one said, I just got married. doesn't say excuse me. It says, I can't come. We won't get into that too much there, but we will touch on it. The servant came back and reported to his master. All this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry in order to serve it. Go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the cripple, the blind, and the lame. So the servant said, what you have ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told the servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. 
I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. So we're going to walk through these verses together, try to understand what's what coming across in Jesus as he tells this story, and then look at ways we can apply it to our lives. Now remember, we're still at the table Pastor Brian explained last week. In verse 15, it starts by saying, one of those at the table said something. Now one of those at the table more than likely was a friend of the Pharisee, it could have been the Pharisee himself who invited Jesus over, or more than likely another one of the Pharisees sitting there with him. And that Pharisee said, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. Now this idea of blessed is actually one that Jesus actually introduced to us back in Matthew chapter 5 in the Beatitudes where he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, and more and more. This idea of blessed means, isn't it great that? Isn't it wonderful that? So this Pharisee was saying, hey, isn't it going to be great when all of us Pharisees get to enjoy a meal beyond belief in heaven because of who we are in God's eyes and because of all the great things we've done for God in our pious living? So he was inverting the, like, isn't it great that I'm going to be invited? Isn't it great that I'm in the all-boys club? Isn't it great that I'm in the clique? Isn't it great that I'm in the in crowd? Isn't it great that I'm not one of those people people don't want to associate with? So Jesus, right now, you can just see that he, he, he's, just, he's holding back for a second, lets the man says it, pauses, and, and you don't get to pause here in the scripture, but I, I have the sense where Jesus is just waiting, like, hmm, let me tell you something. Let me tell you a story. And he starts into a story, because the goal here he has is he wants to second the record straight about what heaven is and who will be there, and sadly, who won't. And what are the reasons why those people will be there or won't be there? And he does so by telling this great story. In verse 16, he starts and he says, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. The, the certain man in the story is God the Father, and obviously this great banquet symbolizes heaven. The great banquet is one in which the Pharisees there at the table would, would be very familiar because the word Jesus used here for great refers to something that's done at a grand scale. Think of it like a gala affair. It was even bigger than the one that Matthew threw for Jesus in Luke chapter 5. It was a kind of banquet that everyone would know about. I mean, I think the, the one I could think about most recently in our, in our current culture was the, like a royal wedding. Meghan Markle, okay? Think of her, regardless of what you feel about her. So the great banquet here not only symbolizes heaven, but it was something that the Pharisees were familiar with. Because back in the prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 25, verse 6, he told this prophecy, he said, on this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast a feast of what? A feast of rich food. For who? For all peoples. A banquet of aged wine, the best meats and the finest wine. This is what the Pharisees were looking forward to. This was what they thought about for heaven. But the banquet at this point in time, now we're in a culture where we don't have microwaves, refrigerators, um, even caterers per se. Really what happens is, is that the, you have staff that work for this master, but it really takes them a while. So normally what they do is they would have two invitations. They'd set one in the future and say, this is the date we're going to do that. And then basically they weren't sure in the day what time everything was ready because there was just so much to orchestrate. So they sent out two invitations. The first one was months in advance, kind of a save the date we're familiar with. And then the other one would be, and that's what we see in verse 16, and the other one would be on that same day. And it's like, come on, everything's ready, please come. So when we're now going to look at these people who are responding, they had already been told months in advance that it's happening. They had already RSVP'd that they're coming, and when the day came, that's when they came up with these excuses. 
So let's look at these excuses. In verse 18 through 20, it's a real twist because the Pharisees are very confused. They don't understand why anybody who would be invited to such a, a table would ever not come. So, because when people were invited, this was something that they would never want to miss out on. They would choose that day, but what we're going to see in here is what I would call flimsy or lame excuses. Not quite the dog ate my homework, but really at that level. So the Pharisees would think this is unheard of, it's very confusing in the story. Jesus tells a story that gets them excited, and now he's going to twist it. So the first man said, I've just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. So here's a picture of a field, not far from where likely Jesus was having that meal at that time. And it, what you can see is, is that the field is just fine. There's really nothing that you need to go and check out. Like, he already bought the field. Like, it doesn't really need to go and be checked out. Um, he paid the money. Like, so at this point in time, really what he's trying to say is like, look, I, I don't really know what to say, so what's the lame excuse I can come up with? Well, there must be something I need to do. I gotta go check out something. But what was true is, is that he was no longer interested in coming to this grand banquet. The day had come, so months ago he was, but the fact is he didn't want to go. So he manufactured something to ease his conscience. And really what this picture tells us is as a reminder of there are people who begin to have an interest in Jesus, but then once they begin to have a lot of possessions, like land, like houses, like shore homes, Pocono homes, whatever it is, those things that they have begin to take up a lot of their attention. They become absorbed into their possessions. And what happens is, is their possessions that they own actually start to own them. So some other commentaries actually have an interesting view on these, and they call them metaphors. So each of these, I'm going to kind of give you more one general slant on it, and then I'll give you a little metaphorical. So some commentators believe that this field is actually a metaphor for the land of Israel, the nationhood, the tribe that Jesus observed, the fellow Israelites. And they had a very narrow view of religion that it was just going to be them. And they were imagining a very narrow focus, just themselves at the exclusion of others, and they were kind of irate at this point in time when Jesus would love outsiders, whether it be somebody like Zacchaeus or the woman at the well. These are people that they didn't want to be part. So this field would represent maybe a, the, the area that just belonged to them, but they felt it was just them. So let's look at the second excuse. Another man comes up and said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Again, these oxen, like, he already bought them. Like, it's, it's a done deal. And not only that, but like, typically these banquets are on the weekend. So the, the Israelites at that time would typically work kind of six days, maybe 12 hours a day, and then on the weekend where these banquets would be, they don't work. So it wasn't like this person needed to test drive these oxen to make sure they were ready to go on Monday for the fields, okay? What was true is, similar to the man with the field, this man had been offered the invitation he said that that was something that drew his interest. But then what was happening as time grew closer, he too created an excuse to ease his own conscience. Now the oxen here in, in the story were not used for pleasure. They were used for work, as I mentioned. And this man is a picture of those people whose jobs have really taken most of their attention. And many of us can be drawn to our jobs and get our identity and get our meaning from the things that we do. We become so absorbed in our occupation that there's really no opportunities for us to concern ourselves with our souls or spiritual matters. So some people have said that back to, so that's kind of the, the more inclination. 
that there's an inclination to just kind of get wrapped up with work. But some commentaries believe that these oxen are actually a metaphor for the animals that were offered in the temple, that, they were, that these represented the legalism and ritualism of the Jewish people of that day, that they felt that the religious practices they did with their sacrifices would be enough for them. And they didn't realize that the Messiah had come that they could put their faith in and no longer have to sacrifice animals. Now we get to the last person, and some would say this may be the most understandable of all the excuses, and other people might say it's the most absurd. And this one he says, I just got married, so I can't come. So we go back to Adam and Eve a little bit, right? So being henpecked really has come from the beginning of time, and for a man to kind of say, oh, because when my wife says something, I can't do it, has been going on for a long time, okay? So there's a bit of sympathy some men may have there. It's almost like a wife trump card. But realistically, most at that time, a man and a woman who just got married, this is what the ceremony would look like, right afterwards, they had just been enjoying their own wedding feast. And the, what they would want to do is just go and be part of whatever feast would be next. And this feast of this magnitude would be the most one you can imagine. Now what's interesting here is, is that this marriage, or this, I guess, couple, what they represent is, what, and it's a really tough one here, and, I, and I'm going to go to a very sensitive area for many of you here, is family. And at my work or in my community, we have this phrase that we use called family first. That wherever we're at, if we have a commitment at work, or we have a commitment in the community, and something comes up with our family, we have great sympathy for that situation, and we say, look, we understand family first. So here, what Jesus is highlighting through this man with his excuse, it's not that family isn't important and shouldn't be cared for and loved. There are great responsibilities. But what he's doing is kind of using what I would say the most noble of excuses. Because what happens is, is when our lives begin to center around these horizontal relationships that we have, and we neglect our, our vertical relationship with our Heavenly Father, that's when our focus gets out of whack. So and some people believe, actually, back to the metaphors, that this is a representation of the Jewish people unwilling to accept a new bridegroom, the bridegroom being Jesus, that they were content with the relationship they had already with God and they didn't feel the need anymore for the Messiah. Jesus actually, if you look at this chapter, I encourage you this, this week, if you have an opportunity during your time with the Lord, to spend time through the whole chapter of Luke 14. Go back to where Brian took us last week. Walk through that. It's a great story. Look through the story of this week. And then Jesus continues on and he says something about this. So remember, he just finishes telling this story about the excuses. We'll finish the rest of the story. But then right after that, he's going to give a little more emphasis to this excuse. And he says in Luke 14, 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Now here, Jesus is using hyperbole. He's using exaggeration. But what he's trying to say is, is that if I'm not more important than everything, then I'm not important at all. So Jesus desires us to love our family, but it's a love that he says must come second in our, to our love for him. And in fact, earlier in Luke, he told the disciples when he was asked the question, what is the most important command? He said in Luke 10, 27, that we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our strength and all of our mind. That's the first thing. And then to love others as ourselves. So God places value in those horizontal relationships and the love we have there, but he places precedent over the love that we have for him. 
So this man is a picture of those people whose relationship with people, often a few special people, took all their attention. They're so focused on their horizontal relationship that they have little time and attention left for the relationship with God. It gets squeezed in the cracks. So each of these men had a secret unwillingness to come to the great banquet. They had many more important things to do, matters that they deemed more significant in their lives than the invitation they received. So what happens when these people who are invited don't come? It's a dilemma. You can't have a great banquet that you've prepared all this food and festivities for and not have people come. So the servant comes back and he tells the master what happened in verse 21. He says, they, they, nobody's come. They're not coming. Then the owner of the house became angry. And that word anger there is a righteous anger because people had been offered the opportunity. They had been given, and they had said yes, yet they didn't follow through because other things had captured their hearts. So he says, go quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town, bring in the poor, the cripple, the blind, and the lame. Now, you might remember from last week, Pastor Brian, in his sermon, mentioned this same group of the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame in verse 13 and 14, because he was telling them about how when you give a banquet, to invite those people. And he said to him last week, he said, to invite those people because they can't repay you. So here, the man giving the banquet says, now we're going to extend, not only to people who maybe could give back, but now to people who can't, who have nothing that can repay us. So the, the Pharisees at this point in time, their heads were spinning from that earlier remark. They can't believe no one would come to the banquet, but they definitely thought the last thing we would do is open up the doors to other people. This is crazy. Especially no banquet would allow the poor, the crippled, the blind, or the lame. You've got to say, well, don't Jesus' disciples know that that's okay, right? They understand that he's for everybody. I'm actually going to let you know that at this point in time, they were still growing in their understanding because if you think back in John chapter 9, verses 1 and 3, the disciples are there, and the disciples asked them a question. They said, Rabbi, who sinned? It was about a blind man. They went along, they saw a blind man from birth, and they said, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So the disciples, even at this point in time, thought that people who were blind was a result of something they did or something that their parents did. They didn't understand that God had a grand plan for everything that happens in our lives. And he said here, neither this man or his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so the works of God might be displayed in him. So God has plans for all of us, whether we be blind, whether we be crippled, whether we be lame, whether we be poor. He has intentions to include all of us. And in fact, just, just maybe one chapter beforehand, we see in Luke chapter 13, we didn't cover this in, in our series, but verses 11 through 13, Jesus heals a woman who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over. She couldn't straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. And he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. So this great banquet is going to have the crippled, some who are healed, some who are not. It's going to have the blind, some whose eyes have been opened, some who have not, some who are lame, and the poor. At this point in time, the Pharisees are like, this great banquet is ruined, tainted, destroyed by these people who are poor, crippled, blind, and lame, as they were sources of shame for themselves and their family. If you don't think that's the case, what, one of the things I can call you back to is that the Pharisees were very familiar with the Old Testament. And so that's where Jesus, I, I have a feeling that we don't have maybe even the full story of everything he said, because I have a feeling that he might have said, look, you guys remember this boy named Mephibosheth? There's a boy named Mephibosheth in 2 Samuel chapter 9. 
We read in verses 6 and 8, When Meshibosheth, son of David, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down and paid honor. David said, Meshibosheth, come and eat with me. And Meshibosheth was crippled. And he was invited to eat at the table of King David. But what I find interesting is, is that what Meshibosheth's re reply was to David about this, because David said to him, Don't be afraid, for surely as I, you show kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan, I will restore you and all the land that belonged to your grandfather, and you will always eat at my table. Again, imagery of the table. But Meshibosheth bowed down, and he said something very interesting. He said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? So back in the Old Testament, before Jesus came, people who were crippled weren't to be noticed. They were to be left alone. They were a source of shame. The viewpoint people had regarding the disabled, that they were not to be honored and not even to be noticed. But this is where Jesus says, we're including the poor, we're including the crippled, we're including the lame at this great banquet. Now Jesus is even going to go crazier. Okay, he says, listen, there is still more. So the servant comes back and says, I brought in all the poor, I brought in the crippled, the lame. We have more room. There's still more room. And Jesus says, then the masters told him, go to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so my house will be full. So who are these people at the roads and country lanes? Well, in, in this area, there's a city and it had walls and the people who were allowed in that city were Jewish people because that's where they, they lived and that was part of their country and their culture. But what we have here is now Jesus is saying, look, I want you to go outside of those walls. Go outside of the boundaries. Go outside of maybe who is part of your clique or your group and bring them in as well. Foreigners, strangers, people who may be dangerous, people who we don't know much about. So his disciples with him at the table may have been remembering the story that he just told earlier in Luke chapter 10 about the Good Samaritan. They will soon see later in Luke chapter 17, Jesus is traveling along the border between Samarita, Samaria and Galilee. And they come across 10 lepers who come his way. And Jesus was standing at a distance from them. They called out, Jesus, have pity on us. Jesus reached out, didn't even touch them. And he healed them. And there's a story that says out of those 10 lepers, one of them came back to say thank you. And Luke makes a very interesting mention in the text. He said the one who came back was a Samaritan. Someone who was on the roads, on the country lanes, who was outside the city, who didn't belong, wasn't included. So Jesus includes those who are not included, whether they be due to disability, whether they be due to ethnicity, whether they be due to their socioeconomic situation. There is no one that Jesus doesn't include in this great banquet. Now the great banquet according to the Pharisees is in complete shambles. No one who felt that they deserved to be there was there. The only people who were there were ones who didn't deserve to be there. Great irony, huh? There was nothing that these people had done that warranted them to be invited to this great banquet. Jesus ends by telling you, saying, I tell you, not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. This is the great message of the great banquet. It is the good news of great joy that is represented in the Bible as a feast. God at infinite cost provides a feast of good things for perishing sinners like me and like you. One of the good things that God offers us is forgiveness or inclusion in his table. Not because of what we've said, not because of what we've done, because of what he's done for us at the cross. And we will celebrate that later in communion. We read in 2 Peter 3, 9, it says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, if some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone, anyone to perish, but everyone. Were, are they on the country lanes? Are they poor, lame, or crippled? even if among the people of Israel who could do come to him, as we saw some of the Pharisees will, like in Nicodemus, 
He wants everyone to come to repentance. And how does that happen? He makes it very clear. Paul tells us in Romans 10, 9 through 13, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. There is no shame for being disabled anymore. There is no shame for being poor. There is no shame for being a foreigner. Any shame that comes from your background and family is put away for the things maybe that you said, done, or the things that came just from your, your background. And it says in here in verse 12, it's a key verse that connects back to this banquet. It says, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone comes to the banquet. Nobody is excluded. So how do we apply this to our lives? I just go back to the two things. We call, I'll call them the three E's here. The first one is excuses. Now let's, let's be real here. I am a person who sometimes makes commitments and I don't keep them. We are people who make commitments all the time in every aspect of our life and sometimes we don't keep them. So in that regard, we are like those people who said, sure, I'll be there. But when push comes to shove, things that we own, work that we do, relationships that we have, become more important than our relationship with Jesus. So let's be mindful of our words when James says, let's our yes be yes or no be no, and let's put Jesus back in the place where he belongs. And let's realize how our priorities drive our choices. If something is in our lives is a priority, we find a way to make it happen. I know I do. When I really want to do something, I will rearrange my schedule to make that happen. If something in our lives is not a priority, we'll find an excuse not to make that happen. If I don't want to do something, I can get pretty creative. Um, some of those excuses earlier did come from me. I, I have more that I can share with you later. We need a good inventory of them. So I just want us to stop right now and take inventory of our priorities and how we spend our time. Our schedules show us what's most important to us. At the onset, we said we're going to see how God desires us all to be part of his family, but I also said that he wants being part of his family to be the most important thing in our lives. So what's one area in your life, be it your possessions, your profession, your relationships, that has recently taken a higher priority than your relationship with God? Ask God to show that to you and be ready for your priorities to be different this week. So the second thing is exclusion. And we talked about this. If God loves everyone, then his desire is for us to be like him and do likewise. At the onset, we said our big idea for today is that God is the designer of inclusion and that God welcomes any person from any background in Christ to be part of his family. So I want to stop and say, just try to become a little more consciously aware of maybe there's people that you don't feel comfortable spending time with. Maybe there's people who just, I, I, don't, I don't know if I feel good, about, I'm not comfortable doing that. And I want you to think about who are those people who are most different from you that you spend any time with? Who are those people who are most different from you that you spend any time with? God's desire is for us to spend time not just with people like us, but with people different from us. Because that's what he does. He has a desire to bring us all together because there's no difference in him. And the last thing is, it's just excitement. It's a banquet, for crying out loud. I mean, what better imagery to be invited to something? I mean, uh, as you know, believers, Christians, we enjoy eating together, okay? God designed that from the beginning, right? So he put Adam and Eve in a garden so they could tend it and also enjoy all the things there to eat. Right, there's imagery we talked about in Isaiah, here in this passage, all the way in Revelation, there's a great feast. So there's this sense where God desires us to be inclusive 
and invite anyone that we come across to join us in it. You heard the expression, the more the merrier? That's God's heart, not wanting any to perish. We have the privilege and responsibility to be that servant we saw in the story today who gets to call people to come to this great banquet. Now, it's not on us to make sure that they come. Notice the servant couldn't convince anybody. They all had to make their own decisions. Some decided to make excuses, and some decided to come, and everyone who came got to enjoy. That's the excitement. So let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for just the great banquet that you've prepared for all of us. We thank you for just the excitement we can have to invite others. Help us to be inclusive in the way that we live our lives. And God, help us to be people of integrity who use less excuses and are just people of truth. In your name, amen. So I mentioned today we're going to be celebrating communion. This is your time to grab your cup. Um, so one of the concerns we have sometimes here at our church is that there may be people here today, R.C. Sproul puts it a really, I like the way he says it, who have professed a faith in Christ. Maybe you understand what Christ did for you on the cross, but you haven't possessed the faith inside of you. So every one of the people at the, at, in the parable professed that they were coming to the banquet, but some of them didn't come. So our heart's desire today is, is that if you have come to the banquet, if you have accepted Christ, that you would celebrate this with us. And again, ironically, we're going to look back to Luke. Luke chapter 22, 19 and 20, and he said, I took the bread, Jesus took the bread, and he gave thanks, and he broke it. And he gave it to them, saying, this is my body, given for you, do this in remembrance of me. And the same way after supper, he took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And again, there's an inference there that says, do this in remembrance of me, of the cup. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you that you help us to learn how big and wide your grace is and how that grace is for everyone, regardless of their background, regardless of things they've said and done. And there's nothing that we've thought, said, and done that you can't forgive, and there's nothing we can do to really stop that relationship with you. Lord, I ask that you would help us to prioritize that relationship and appreciate all the things you've done for us. In your name, amen.